it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with episode number 121 of The Yacking Show, the show to bring you new perspectives and awaken you to the changes that are going on in the world, and it's certainly changing. As always, we have interesting guests. Today's guest will be no exception, but Kathleen introduces our guests so much better than me. So my first job, introduce our co-host, Kathleen Beauvais in Waterloo. How are you doing today, Kathleen? I'm doing great, Peter. Thank you for that intro. And the sun again is shining today, so I'm just absolutely sopping it up. So I love it. Thank you all so very much for tuning into our show. We so appreciate you and we love reading your comments. So please keep those coming. And if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And as Peter mentioned, we have another special guest with us today. Her name is Samina Sile. Welcome, Samina. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. You are the founder of HR Enable. So you are a human resources consultant, but you're also a paralegal. Can you tell our audience a little bit about your background and how you came to work in, in HR consulting and become a paralegal? Certainly. Um, so I've been doing HR for 17 years uh, plus. Prior to that, I, my background is from the pharmaceutical industry and I kind of felt into it doing some work when I was uh, working at um, a large pharmaceutical company called Pharmacia, and which was actually bought up by Pfizer later. Uh, but I had done some HR work and I was really interested. So I did go back to school part-time and did it. And that was a long time ago. And since then, it's, um, it, I've been on a roll for the last 17 years. I dedicated my whole career to HR because that's what I enjoy. It's a passion. Um, and I love working the fact that I'm working independently. I love the fact that I'm working with different clients from different industries. And I decided to get my paralegal license because it's very complementary to being an HR consultant because there's a lot of overlap. So now in addition to providing HR consulting, I can actually represent, legally represent clients in court as well. Wow, that's quite quite a change from pharmaceutical to HR and then throwing legal law in as well. Very interesting. For the benefit of our audience, Samina, a lot of people who haven't worked in the corporate environment don't really know what HR is all about, right? You know, I'm, I'm talking particularly of people who perhaps went the trade route and became an apprentice and then became to a small company, became an electrician or a, a builder, whatever. And we have a lot of, a lot of those uh, small businesses around. So give our audience an idea of the sort of services you provide under the HR umbrella. Certainly. So the main uh, focus is really, uh, my focus is on compliance. So compliance with what the, what the law says. And mm. those laws that apply, actually there's four. You, could, you, could focus, you can point them to four types of laws. One is the Employment Standards Act, which provides the minimum um, standards for all employers. Then there's the Occupational Health and Safety Act, which is um, the health and safety that employers have a resp responsible and employees have a responsibility towards. And thirdly, you have the Human Rights Code, which focuses on harassment and discrimination. And lastly, there really is not a written law. It's called the common law. So these are precedents or decisions that have been made by courts that you know you you base your 
strategies or your legal defense um, or you file a claim to, based on precedent. So there's common law as well. So as Peter mentioned earlier on, we are seeing this is a vastly changing business world that we're experiencing right now, especially when it comes to remote workers. What advice would you have for employers that have remote employees? Well, first of all, my, I, I, my heart goes out to especially small businesses and small employers. Um, businesses that have remote workers, I would say the first thing is that you need a work from home policy. You need to be, cl you need to be clear on the guidelines for working from home. Um, expectations and also obligations and also protect the rights as an employee protect your rights as an employer meaning that you should be you should have clear guidelines that the employer can mandate a return to work when it's appropriate because you could be setting a precedent an implied term that it's okay for the employee to work from home on an ongoing basis so there's, um, and you know, there's other health and safety, there's um, security uh, around intellectual property, because people are working, some are using their own computers, their own phones, there should be clear guidelines. So they should have written clear guidelines. Mm -hmm. Very important, yes. Uh, particularly the return to work at the office or factory or whatever is in, in uh, some time in the future, I can imagine. That could create a few difficulties if you don't have a decent policy spelled out on that one. Yeah. That's important. right. That's right. Thanks, Serena. One thing a lot of people are concerned with at the moment um, is this vaccination for the virus that's going around. Uh, what, what's the rules here? Can, can an employer mandate that an employee must have the vaccination? I'm going to give you a typical legal answer, and that it depends. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So... I mean, if you're looking at a high risk environment where there is a high risk of exposure, for example, like the healthcare industry, there may be a defense to mandate a vaccination. But in a corporate world where you have remote workers or where there's not a high risk, it would be very difficult to mandate. So my, I would, I would say proceed with caution um, and um, just be careful if you're mandating it. You have to be able to defend the reason why you're mandating it, the purpose for that. So mm -hmm. it really depend, I would say, depend on the industry as well and the type okay. of work. And I just very... want to drop this. Sorry, Peter, I just have another question to that, actually, if you don't mind. So when we say mandating, and, and even, even for healthcare workers where we think that's high risk, but what if there's a nurse that isn't, or even a PSW that isn't comfortable getting, getting the vaccination, even when it's been mandated, what are, what are the rights of the employee in that instance? Right, so for a case like that, you would look at the individual, it's on a case by case basis, you would look at the, the facts of each case. If there is a grounds under the human rights code, so for example, if, it, if it's on religious grounds, or maybe it's on a medical, um, on a medical basis that the employee cannot take the vaccination. So they, the employee cannot return to working in a high risk environment. 
then there would be um, then the employer has an obligation to accommodate until what they call undue hardship. So in that case, it would be looking closely at other alternatives. What can the employee do with in an attempt to accommodate the employee? So it would depend on each case. You can't have a blanket um, rule. Um, every case is very, very different. Mm, I was just going to add that I read an article on the internet this morning, just the headline, 117 nurses in California are suing the hospital employer because the hospital has mandated they must have the vaccine. And their argument is that it's not proven safe yet. It's not fully tested according to the normal standards. And you know what I'm talking about with your pharmaceutical company background. And their lawyers are saying that it contravenes the Nuremberg Code because it's uh, forcing people to have experimental drugs put in their body. I don't know what the ruling on that case is, but I would imagine this could be the tip of the iceberg for future cases if, if employers try and mandate the vaccination. It's going to come down to public health guidelines. So remember, right now, as an employer, you are obligated to take every reasonable precaution to protect the worker. Since COVID, we're looking at very different precautions in the workplace. What those precautions are they are provided by the public health agency. So it's not the Ministry of Labor that's outlining what those mm -hmm. are, what steps you should take to ensure your employers are safe. It is the public health agency. They're looking at the public health agency to set those guidelines. So I'm assuming in a case like that, they're going to be looking at what is the public health agency basing this, you know, the vaccination that it does protect. So they're probably going to be looking at scientific information and so forth, and maybe statistics, you know, on COVID transmissions and things like that. That's what I'm going to be assuming on that. But you're mm -hmm. right. I think that there are going to be a number of lawsuits. I really do. Yeah. And, and leading on from that, of course, is the recent announcement about the provincial government talking about the rapid test uh, program for businesses. So, and, and it's, it's a similar to the first question. If an employer says you have to take a test, what are your rights as an employee for that one? You cannot enforce a test. So remember, taking a rapid test, it is a medical procedure. So right. an employer cannot enforce a medical procedure on an employee. So it is optional. I would suggest, though, that you have clear guidelines and who administers it. So mm -hmm. it's supposed to be self-swap. Having said that, I have heard that some employers are assigning this, administering the test to an individual in the workplace. Well, who are, if, if an employer is going to do that, they need to ensure that that person is medically qualified. So in order to um, administer that test. Um, and what it, and they also need to take precautions around privacy. So there should be very clear guidelines on what will happen with that information, how it will be stored, where it will be shared, how it will be how it be handled. That all needs to be very clearly outlined to employees. Mm, good point. Thank you for that. Kathleen, back to you. So, so just to, um, so that's on the rapid test program, which is different than sending somebody for an actual COVID test, correct? That's, we're talking two, two different tests. So if an employer says you must go and get yourself 
COVID tested before you come back to work, are, can they do that? Can they, can they tell an employee to go and get a COVID test if that employee does not want to do that? What are the guidelines? Yeah, so if there are symptoms and if there's risk of exposure, right, there are leaves available to the employee to, to quarantine. An employer cannot enforce a test. It's again, it's a medical procedure, but they, they can require some sort of clearance letter. It doesn't have to provide medical information, but it can provide a clearance letter from a physician to say that this person is okay to return to work. The, the, Kathleen, the issue is that we have laws in place right now, whether it's human rights or whether it's occupational health and safety, whatever we've had, this is an unprecedented situation. And we're having to work with, with laws that have been established and yet no changes have been made, not by the government and not by press. We, not even by precedence. We're seeing a few decisions trickle down through the courts. But remember, with a pandemic, the courts have been backed up as well. So those decisions are coming forward, which are going to provide us some guidelines, but that's going to be, it's changing from month to month. And we're seeing some, some clarification going forward. Right. Um one of the things that you provide is training on uh, the prevention of workplace violence for healthcare industry. To be honest with you, I, I didn't even know that was that was a thing. Um, is it such a big issue? Well, actually, workplace violence training is not just specific for healthcare industry. Okay. It's it's actually applicable to all employees. So no matter which industry you work in. But workplace violence is very prevalent in the healthcare industry. And it's actually taken quite um, a surge since the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, actually, when the pandemic hit, especially in emergency rooms, the number of patients going to ER were very low. People were not going. But now you're seeing an increase. But in general, even doctors and nurses, especially nurses, are very much prone to workplace violence. There's drugs involved. There's people who are there's mental health issues. Um, even prior to the pandemic, this was an issue. So this has just increased that the numbers. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I, I've heard from what you're saying as well, particularly the health professionals who deal with seniors, some of whom are suffering from dementia and that sort of thing, uh, can be a real a real problem for them. Yeah. yeah, senior senior homes, uh, you'll find that personal support workers, nurses in those areas, they, 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 they are exposed to workplace violence by, by patients. Sure, sure, sure. So in your work, do you mainly work with uh, larger companies that have a fair number of employees? Do you work with small companies that have few employees? And do you also offer advice and assistance to um, solo entrepreneurs, um, the contractors that I mentioned earlier, that side of the coin? Okay, so <clears throat> I work with all sides of companies. I Typically, I would say anywhere from five employees to 175. Usually at 175, an employer usually wants an in-house HR consultant. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. Um, but I've worked with three employees. So I mainly work with employers. And as far as contractors are concerned, the solo, the only, um, the, 
the employer-employee relationship doesn't exist there. So it would be an independent contractor. So as an independent contractor, you would be looking at a contract, right? Okay. With who you're going to be contracting with. So that's a that's a, a different um, type of contract, but sure. I do provide that type, type of service. So let's take that one a little step further. You, you're also a paralegal. So if a contractor felt that the terms his client was trying to have put into a contract infringe something that would not be applicable in a general employment case. So it's now going into that employee rights area. Would that be something you could advise a contractor on? Um, so, so with an independent contract, the employer-employee relationship doesn't exist. So that's the whole point of having a contract in the first place. Right. So remember, if you if you are providing wages to somebody to perform work, that is an employer-employee relationship. With an independent contractor, they are independent. They, they have other clients. The rule of the thumb is with an independent contractor is that if you, if you, so basically, if you look like an employee, you work like an employee, you talk like an employee, you are an employee. Okay. With an contractor, they're free to work with other clients. They're, they're free to, they should be using their own tools. They, they determine their own hours. With an employee, those, those, those boundaries don't exist. So that's why they're independent and it should be very clearly defined at the beginning. Okay, let me let me go yet a step further. I'm now a small contracting business and I have two employees and I'm about to sign a contract with a client, which is going to be the work's going to be done by one of my employees. And when I look at this contract, because I have a little bit of HR knowledge myself as an employer, I think you know I'm a little worried about this. If I make employee A do what that client wants me to do, I could be at risk now for an unfair labor practice or whatever that would come under the HR code. Would I, as an independent contractor and employer, be able to come to you and get some advice on that? Yes, certainly. I am trying to think of a situation where that would happen. But remember, the employee, the person working at that location is your employee. That's why I'm asking. Exactly. Yeah, it's clear. It's your employee. So whether it's Employment Standards Act or whether it's Occupational Health and Safety Act, still the Occupational Health and Safety Act, as you're the employee, you still have that responsibility, even if you're that employee to a different location to work and, you know, to perform work for somebody else. Because I've come across, not in this country, but in in another country, I've come across a situation where a large company doesn't want the hassle of having an employee do a certain type of job because it's it's borderline for risk and all sorts of things. So the easy solution is let's contract it out and let's make the contractor do the work we don't want to do, which is fine until something goes wrong. <laughs> but I do have to point out that yeah. large corporation or that, that company will still have some shared responsibility to health and safety. So if the, God forbid, if there is an accident or some fatality occurs, the Ministry of Labor will not only look at the contractor, they'll be looking at the site as well. As and well the, yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay, no, thanks for that. I think that could be of great help to some of our listeners who run small one or two man shows. Thank you. Exactly. 
So just getting back to the vaccination and COVID issue from an employer standpoint, we, we covered the fact an employer, you know, may or may not ask uh, for somebody to go and have a COVID test and they can't mandate that because it is a medical test. But the fact that they can, can they ask? So for instance, if I'm an employer, am I allowed to ask an employee whether they've had a test or even whether they've been vaccinated? It's, you know, n- never mind having that mandated. Let's put that aside for a moment. But just the fact that you're asking the questions, is it not a breach of privacy to, to even bring that up? You can't an employee to disclose whether they've had the vaccination or not. Having said that, an employee can volunteer the information. So this is a this is the $100 question right now that's facing a lot of employers. If we're going to reopen the business, how do we bring employees back and ensure that it's a safe workplace, that everybody in the workplace is vaccinated, but we yet we cannot ask that question or require the employee to disclose whether they've been vaccinated or not. So there's a lot of discussion going on around that. And one of them is as looking at providing incentive campaigns for employees to get vaccinations. So whether it's you get a vaccination, you get a birth, you get one day off in the year for your birthday. Um, Whether it's put your name in a in a hat for a draw for all those people who've been vaccinated, they'll get a prize. So there's different ways of looking at things on how to obtain that information. I would say that you can put, um, you can request an employee to disclose it. You could put, have you had the vaccination? Yes, no, or I do not wish to disclose. You cannot require an employee to disclose that information if they don't wish to do so. So I've, I've actually heard uh, somebody mention that a, a construction company, I don't know if it's local or not, was actually incentivizing their employees to get the vaccine by giving them an extra $150. And from somebody who's not been vaccinated, could they not argue that that is discrimination? So you have to be careful with the, with the discriminatory adverse effects. So there's a choice, right? I mean, the person could get, I think that's that's something that's going to be argued maybe if a case goes to human rights that is discriminatory. But again, you look at the defense. How is an employer supposed to, well, they're encouraging the vaccination, but they're also trying to ensure that their workplace is safe. So there's a defense. It's not black and white. It's not clear. Again, we're working with the laws that we have right now. And I think some of those decisions are going to be coming into court. So yes, I suppose somebody can go in and say that could be discriminatory, but you do have to be careful that whatever type of incentive you provide, that it cannot, that you have a clear defense and that you can have a strong defense that it's not discriminatory. Mm -hmm. I was going to, I was going to ask you that one as well, because whether you have a vaccine or not is not productivity related. You know, you can, it's quite fair to give a bonus for pro- productivity, overtime, pay more for overtime, pay, pay for people working on public holidays. But whether a person has or hasn't the vaccine, 
uh, it's not going to change how, how efficient they are at work unless they should get sick. And then the other side of that coin is what happens if they have, have the side effect of the vaccine? Can they now, and the employers coerce them into having it, can they sue the employer for workplace injury? Well, it's not just that. So if the employee is not vaccinated, they come into the workplace, they have COVID. But, you know, what if there's a fatality? Because we are dealing with life and death. It could be a fatality, right? The, what the vaccine does, it protects you. It doesn't protect you from getting COVID. It protects you from um, a fatality or it protects you from being so sick that you, do, you, you go into hospital. So you're exposing other employees as well, right? If you... Um, if you if you're not vaccinated, you could be if there's somebody, yeah, you could end up giving it to other people, right, as well that who are not. That, that that's the theory, and I think there's going to be a lot of court cases arguing that one as well. So so again, getting to the side effect, either the um, if a person is is exposed in the workplace, is that covered by WSIB? And the same thing, if they have the vaccine and they are they suffer serious side effects, would that be covered by WSIB? Um, so if you're exposed, so so WSIB covers injuries or diseases that are being where an employee's been exposed in the workplace. So if they have been exposed, and WSIB will cover, yes. Um, if you have side effects, that could be under your insurance, your medical insurance. But what if you'd, if you'd only had the vaccine because you'd been coerced into it by your employer? Sorry, you say that again? Let's say you have the vaccine for the simple reason that your employers indicated or inferred or told you outright, if you don't have the vaccine, you can't come to work. So you have that you're coerced into having the vaccine to protect your job, and then you get side effects. My argument would be if you hadn't had the vaccine, you wouldn't have had the side effects, so you, you wouldn't have suffered an injury. You've suffered the injury purely because of a dictate of your employer. Is that not WSIB? So, so first of all, the employer really can't, can't mandate the vaccine, right? I mean, if an employee doesn't want to come back, they can say employer has a right to recall the employees back to work. If the employer refuses, then it's a matter of looking closely whether there are any human rights um, mm -hmm. for, to provide accommodation to that employee. Secondly, as far as the <laughs> is concerned, they've been very clear that they, are, they, they haven't provided a very um, specific type of mandate, but what they have said is that this is new to them as well, that they will be assessing each case on its own merits. So they will be, they can be submitted to WSIB, if a case can be made, they will cover it. Right. Well, Samina, we are almost out of time. Yes. So thank you so much. How can people contact you? Um, my website uh, has all my contact information on it. It's hrenable.ca. Um, and my email is, if they have any questions, um, that have not been answered here today. I'd be more than happy if you send me an email and I'll respond to that. It's Samina, S-A-M-I-N-A, period. Last name is Sile, S-I-A-L, at hrenable.ca. Perfect. And we'll be sure to put those in the captions. So We will do that. Yeah, thank you very much, Samina. Yes, so okay. on behalf of Peter, myself, and everyone, 
Thank you all so very much for tuning into our show. And once again, we love reading your comments. So please keep those coming. And if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. Thank you, Samina, for being with us today. We appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Until next time, everyone. Bye-bye.